Welcome to No Password Required, a monthly conversation that gives you an up-close and personal look at the world of cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to No Password Required, a podcast dedicated to exploring the minds and personalities that make up the field of cybersecurity. I'm your host, Ernie Ferrasso, and with me as always are Jack Clabby and Pablo Torres. On our podcast today, we're going to talk with Charity Wright. Uh, she's a cyber threat intelligence analyst at Recorded Future. In her professional life, Charity does research and reporting on global cybercrime, state-sponsored cyber threats, and disinformation operations. And when she steps away from the cyber world, she loves spending time with her two awesome kids. Speaking of siblings, I'd like to say hello to my podcast brothers, Jack, Pablo, gentlemen, how are you? Very good today, podcast brother Ernie. Podcast brother Ernie, I'm doing great over here. Do we, do, if, since we're podcast brothers, is that is that like monks? Do we get to wear like the, the brown outfit, <laughs> the, whatever that like the, is? Is it burlap? I'm not wearing burlap today, by the way. Just, just so everybody knows. <laughs> I think we have to ask Rex if it's in the budget. I'd like the idea. <laughs> burlap, <laughs> burlap outfits for the podcast. I don't I know. I feel like it's either it's it's the original sweat wick away. Burlap. It is. It's a breathable it's fabric. Weird. There's, yeah, there's large enough gaps in between the individual strands. When I moved to Florida about seven years ago, I have slowly been transitioning to all sweat wick away clothing. And about, I think probably in July, I went and I looked at all my t-shirts. I was like, I've done it. It all took seven years, a complete, entirely sweat wick away um, experience now. So just let's mark that down that this was the first podcast recorded with an entirely 100% casual sweat wick away wardrobe. You know, Jack, and I was going to say, uh, you look cooler, both, both, our, both literally and, and figuratively. Yeah, and I think, I think our Cyber Florida t-shirts are sweat wick away for what, oh, yeah. worth, for what that's worth. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking, uh, Pablo and I were talking uh, earlier about where we get our news from because it's different, right? Because I, I do cybersecurity from a legal industry angle, and Pablo does it from a technical um, protective or offensive angle, right? So we, we do it from two different angles. And, you know, I, I, I want to talk about, I want to hear from Pablo too, because I think they're different sources, but I have something, it's called the Yahoo, the Yahoo rule, right? I've talked about this in other, in other places, and the Yahoo rule is if something makes it to the front page of Yahoo News, then it's important enough that everyone needs to know about it. So I don't, I don't read Yahoo necessarily for the, for, for the news it gives me. I read it to make sure, do I know about that? Yes, okay. Do I know about that? Yes, okay. And it's a, it's a version of something that used to be, I used to call the, the USA Today rule, which is you had to, USA Today should not be breaking any news. So if, you, if, you're, in, you know, if you're at a, at a Hampton Inn, and back in the old days, they'd throw the USA Today on every doorstep, and, and there was something on the front of the USA Today, and you were like, oh my goodness, and you were surprised by it. You had not done a good job of gathering the intelligence for what it was that you did. So at least once a day, like if I'm in the elevator, I'll, I'll open my phone and I'll go to Yahoo News and I'll say, do I know that? Good. Do I know that? Good. If there's a piece of cybersecurity news on Yahoo and I don't know it, I have to have to take a hard look at, at what's happened that day. Pablo, wh- where do you and your colleagues, like, where do you get real, I was call it real cybersecurity news, but like, Obviously, that's sort of silly, but it is something I do every day. I just check and make sure it's okay. Where do you guys get news on threats, on what's happening in the industry? Um, 
Well, I, I'd have to say it's uh, up to this point within my career, it's been a carefully curated set of sources that I rely on to find information. I mean, more so, I, I, it comes down to curiosity and just innate passion for the digging. But um, I'll start off with Reddit. And uh, I'll get into the deep rabbit holes of Reddit to see what's happening within the fellow, let's say, security professional community. We're, we're not going to address white hat or black hat specifically. We're, we're just going to address it as security researchers. What are they targeting? What's, what's the main topic of conversation? What are we going to identify as far as vulnerabilities or what's the, the main conversation or topic of the day based on what's happening in the geopolitical spectrum? Um, and, and from there, I'll transition into more clear web type of uh, sources. And, and not to say that Reddit is a, is a dark web type of uh, source, but it's just maybe one that's not so frequently visited. Um, then then I'll, I'll get creative with uh, what I find on the clear web. And something that I've picked up that's been very, very interesting, and I almost have, I won't say coined a direct correlation. I don't have any scientific research or study just yet. However, yeah, coordinating and, and really cross-referencing the amount of DDoS attacks happening on any given day and the way that the economy, the U.S. economy specifically, is functioning. And uh, whether or not we see an uptick in activity on DDoS attacks compared to what's happening on the global spectrum when it comes to corporate environments and, and the, the markets that they operate in, is it a heavy day with DDoS attacks? Are we noticing that markets are declining? Or is it a day that we don't see as much DDoS traffic and we see a day where companies and, and, and networks are operating efficiently to where there is no cyber threat or risk? Um, that, that's been an interesting correlation. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I, I never would have thought to put that together. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's as that develops, that's going to be pretty interesting. That's, that seems like one of those things where, um, you know, as you start to, to, to zoom out and see the scope, uh, then you realize, holy cow, this is what's been going on. I, I just, I, I'm, just, <laughs> I, I'm just having this vision of, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say Superman 3 or some sort of, yeah, there's a, there's a Lex Luthor behind this, this thing that's, that's pulling the thread. And then all of a sudden, you know, Pablo Torres is the guy who, who exposes a, this, this vast global conspiracy. I, I think that there's a movie... There's a movie somewhere in here, or at least a, a decent uh, uh, cyber-related novel wrapped into that story. I, I like that. That uh, as you're digging, you're identi- you, you may be on the cusp of identifying the the global conspiracy to manipulate world economies using DDoS. What if those ultra the the ultra fast traders or the quantitative traders, right? If they get slowed down for some reason, right? Those QE traders. If they get slowed down, I mean, it, it's it's all hands on deck and it's panic. But um, I'll tell you what, those QE traders don't have anything on me when it comes to my cyber threat research and my correlation to economic markets. <laughs> you either know one or the other, but to be well versed in both, well, that's certainly interesting. This is good. I got to think about what kind of a um, investment fund we can start that exploits that. Pablo, I like that idea. That could buy that could buy many a mystery van for for the crew here. Yes, to go out right. Oh yeah. Could, that we would solve a our funding problem. It would. It would. Sure. <laughs> that, that it would. We've worked with many of cybersecurity companies that have been gobbled up by those guys. So they've got the cash and they're using it to, to buy, you know, you, yeah, to, to make to targeted acquisitions, which is kind of neat to see. There's the pros and cons to consolidation, but, you know, it's good to see that um, the quality is, you know, there's still a high quality with the growth of those of all those places. It's good to see that there are places that, meaning there are vendors to whom the industry can look for help uh, who are now 
you're paying well and, and hiring people. Because it's one of those things where how do you keep somebody from, uh, how do you keep somebody who's a gray hat from becoming a black hat? Give them a high paying white hat job. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. It's right. It's good to know that the industry's growing. I check, you know what else I check? I check like for legal sources, I read the IAPP's blog probably two or three times a week just to see. They put a lot of great content out that's on the privacy side of things. Uh, mm. Some cyber, but a lot of privacy. It's a great website and, and not everybody knows about it because it's more privacy related, but they'll have like an over, they'll have good overviews of, of state data breach statutes, what's happening out there. A lot of that moves the needle in terms of companies' investments. So the IAPP, um, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, has a great blog, a lot of guest posts up there. Oh, that's and then interesting. I'll read, yeah, yeah. It, it's a good place to look. And, and not, again, it's pretty well known in the legal community, not so well known in the, in the greater cyber industry. And then I'll read Krebs, too, for sure. You know, I'll read some of the more popular blogs. Just because, again, it's like if it's on there, you're, someone's going to bring it up on a phone call. You just need to be aware of it. Have a couple of sound bites behind it that I, you can and I, understand. Yeah. yeah. And, I, you know, I don't do a lot. I don't follow. Do you follow anybody, Pablo, on Twitter who you like for cyber news? When, when it comes to that news, I mean, to, back to your question, I, I don't have any social media presence. I, I have LinkedIn, sure. Um, I, I don't frequent it quite often, uh, to be quite frank. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't have any social media presence. I, I don't have a Twitter. I, I don't follow many cybersecurity professionals. I do have my mentors who I look up to and I highly regard. And these individuals have equipped me with a, with a knowledge set and a skill set to just dig. And um, I'm, I'm very fortunate and blessed to be a part of a great team uh, with my client and my client network and our parent company where our intelligence research and our threat analysts who, who perform the day-to-day activity are continuously feeding us with very useful information. Yeah. And uh, staying abreast of all the cyber threat, I mean, it's just the name of the game. You need to be informed. Now, you mentioned uh, Reddit, Pablo. That's that's interesting, as I like to uh, highlight. I'm the grand old man of no password required. Uh, and that's something that I wouldn't have considered, message board type things. And, and so w- when you're checking that, do you find that's a, a good source for like a primary source so you can, you can identify trends and things? Can you tell me a little bit more about how you use Reddit uh, in that sense? Absolutely, Ernie. Yeah, so when it, when it comes to Reddit, I, I look at it as a very raw source. I'm, I'm looking at data that hasn't been influenced by either side of the coin. And I'm looking at individuals who are genuinely posting threads and topics that, that could be very concerning to our day-to-day life within our cyber ecosystem, or rather useful and insightful. So so Reddit is used as a tool to really gauge the social sentiment. And, and for the most part, I mean, I'm identifying plenty of individuals with vast amount of experience that are being overlooked and they're no more than just a frustrated frustrated technology professional who hasn't been given the ability to go and and perform on the right side of the line. So they take to these more nefarious destinations to be amongst the community and build that camaraderie with individuals who are experiencing the same. And I I say this uh, very passionately due to the mentees who I have under me. And, and these are individuals who find themselves in positions where they can't find these opportunities. So they resort to some rather nefarious intents. Um, and, and it comes down to conversation and very candid conversation between, uh, between myself and the mentee to, to really steer them in the path where they can use their skills and their intellect for, for very constructive activities. Reddit, for the most part, if you want to find some unfiltered, unbiased information, you can go ahead and engage the social sentiment. 
by by digging into the threads. And I, I think the hardest part is finding the right threads to follow. But once you find them, it's no more than just pulling the string and seeing how far the cookie crumbles. Well, speaking of unfiltered, we're going to get a, have an unfiltered conversation with our guest uh, after we take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk to Charity about her path into the cybersecurity world and how it all started um, when she joined the, uh, the U.S. military. Have an idea for a guest or topic? Send an email to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. Welcome back. Our guest today is Charity Wright, a cyber threat analyst at Recorded Future who specializes in Chinese threats and disinformation. Welcome to No Password Required. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with y'all. Wow. So uh, the Chinese threat intelligence, huh? Uh, how did you, I mean, how did you get there? Uh, you know, of all places, a Chinese. <laughs> I, I ask myself that every day. Um, <laughs> it started back in 2005. I joined the U.S. Army to be a linguist, not really fully understanding what what that would mean. Like, what what kind of job is this? Um, but shortly after basic training, I went to the Defense Language Institute, and I was assigned to learn Mandarin Chinese. Um, that must have been fun. Picked an easy language to be assigned. Huh? <laughs> you know, at that point when I joined, I was studying Middle Eastern politics. So I assumed it's 2005. I'm going to learn Arabic and go to Iraq. Like that was my army plan. You know, post 9-11, I was actually kind of excited about getting involved in that theater. Um, but uh, maybe the universe and the army had other plans for me. I was one of the only ones out of my basic training group assigned to Mandarin. And of course, my first response was, this must be a mistake. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how I would have passed any tests to be able to qualify for the hardest language in the world. Um, so I struggled with some imposter syndrome. But uh, shortly after I arrived to language school, I found out that most Chinese linguists get stationed in Hawaii. And so there was my motivation. I was like, hey, if, if this gives me a chance to live there for, for several years, then I am, I'm all in. <laughs> yeah, I share that same, uh, uh, that same, a similar path. Uh, my military career, uh, they said I was, when I, uh, I graduated, I completed uh, officer basic, the basic school for the Marines. They said, you're going to go be a signals intelligence officer. I didn't know what the hell that meant. <laughs> um, and anybody I talked to said, yeah, I don't know what that does, but it seems pretty cool. And I was like, well, geez, where am I going to end up? And my first duty station was uh, Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. Wow. Uh, so Yeah, so that was a, a similar type of thing. Like, well, you know, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. Yeah, it sounds like we have, you know, parallel military experiences. I, I was SIGINT as, as well. Yeah. So, you know, getting into the SIGINT side of things really opened my eyes to realize, hey, I'm not going to be like a foreign area officer hanging out in an embassy somewhere, I'm I'm actually going to be working at the National Security Agency as an intelligence analyst. So that was uh, pretty mind blowing as well, and um, I just owned it. I loved that job. It was very fulfilling, as you know, um, being able to kind of see the top secret side of things and protect U.S. and allied assets in a specific um, region of operation. It's just very fulfilling. Charity, can I ask, when you, you you sign up and you enlist, and then you're assigned a language, so you had had no training in Mandarin 
and then at the end of that training period, you, you know Mandarin? That's right. What is that training like? Oh, gosh. It is very intense, very fast-paced. The Defense Language Institute is supposed to be one of the foremost language schools in the world, and it's primarily for English speakers to learn foreign languages. So Mandarin, first you have to pass uh, a battery of tests that prove that your brain has maybe an innate ability to learn a language like Mandarin, which is not alphabetical, it's actually just little pictures. Like each character in Mandarin is uh, like a pictogram basically. Um, And it has a meaning and it has a sound. And when you put those together, it creates a syllable. Um, so it's it's really interesting to learn that my brain had this ability to learn this particular language because um, it's very challenging. So the, the military sends you to school at DLI. Chinese is an 18-month program. And that goes for all Category 4 languages, which includes Japanese, Korean, Arabic, and Mandarin Chinese. So it's an 18-month program. Uh, you start with a couple weeks of kind of like a boot camp on English grammar because you want to make <laughs> sure you remember all the, the grammar parts of a sentence in English before you start learning it in another language. And then you just dive right in. And it's very immersive. Um, classes were divided into groups of 10. So you go into a classroom with nine other people. Um, they're all military. Uh, you have native Chinese um, professors and speakers as teachers. It's a teaching team that rotate out. And uh, from day one, they start teaching you Mandarin and you're expected to just use what you know and go from there. <laughs> I must imagine for what you do now that understanding the culture is also important in the government and how China as, a, as both a nation and a political entity works are you getting that education alongside the language or does that come later? That comes later. Uh, During the actual language training, we really get immersed in the culture of China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, um, but mostly mainland China. And the teachers are not uh, cleared. They don't have security clearances. They're, They're native from China and they really don't know what our classified jobs are either. So their goal is just to get us to a proficiency (laughs) level where we can pass the defense language proficiency test, which we call DLPT. And that's an annual test that we have to take to certify that we are uh, still proficient in that language. So the teachers just work really hard to get us to that point, which is proficiency is about a college level um, ability to hear it, understand it, read it, write it, and speak it. So, so if you could just sort of walk us through when, when you're done with your service, what happens next? I spent about four years working at the National Security Agency in Hawaii, uh, doing SIGINT work um, and helping to protect, you know, U.S. assets in the Pacific. And I really fell in love with being an intelligence analyst and you know, every day is something new and exciting. And when I got out of the army, I I finished my enlistment and I decided to take a break. I wanted to finish college. I got my bachelor's degree in international studies 
in Hawaii, and then I had two kids back to back. So, um, you know, they, I, I stayed with them for about four or five years until they were in school. And when I got divorced and became a single mom, I suddenly realized, hey, I, I need to move home to Dallas where I can afford uh, to be a single mother by home. And I got into this very dire situation financially after my divorce where I knew I need to find a really good career where I can provide for my kids on my own. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dallas, but there's no government agencies here that would hire a Chinese linguist. So I started putting my feelers out for intelligence analyst positions. And um, that led me to basically the doorsteps of cybersecurity companies and also big corporations that needed cyber intelligence, um, you know, programs for their companies. And when I saw those job descriptions, I thought, I am definitely not qualified for this. I know nothing (laughs) about cyber. I have no IT background, but I can learn quickly. So I just put myself out there and said, hey, look, here's what I can do. Here's what I can bring to your program. I know how to analyze intelligence. I know how to create intelligence requirements for your company. Um, and I know how to communicate with executive level leaders. You know, I had been briefing uh, high ranking military officers for years. So I put it out there and I told them, here's my gaps. I may need a couple of boot camps and some cybersecurity basics, but um, I'm all in on cyber. And that's how I got my first job. Oh, that's awesome. What, what a great story. The, the, the idea, too, that, I mean, those are exactly the gaps that can be filled on the, on the fly. It's what you're talking about and the skill set you brought is the hard stuff, is the ability to learn things quickly, the ability to know your strengths and weaknesses, and then to express them. And, Absolutely. And I, and I think we see, we talk about it a lot on the podcast too, that need to take a, something, whatever it is, be it technical, be it intelligence, and then brief another person who's got to then take action on it is a really hard skill. And if you have that, I mean, you can really see it, I imagine. D- d- how did it play out uh, in your first role? Uh, it, you know, it was kind of rough. <laughs> I had to deal with my own um, weaknesses and I had to address those head on and I found out very quickly I'm not great at test taking for certs so I just kind of avoided certs as much <laughs> as possible um, but you know a lot of people that are new to this industry they ask me like what certs should I get I, I started with security plus I think that's a very great foundational certification but after I got that one, I, I went and found uh, where my strengths were. And that was, um, you know, formulating an intelligence program around what do our, what does our company need and what do the clients need? And then also I found a knack for public speaking. So I love doing research and I love digging in. I'm very passionate about researching cyber threats and nation state objectives and, and high level strategic stuff and presenting on those topics to educate um, the industry and, you know, just to represent the company that I'm working for. So that's kind of the direction my cyber career went. Um, But, you know, everyone's path is different and is based on their own talents. So you mentioned, um, you know, digging, researching on, uh, you know, strategic initiatives and stuff. So uh, 
Where do we stand vis-a-vis -vis China? When last we heard, our heroes were uh, being pilfered with IP theft of the trillions of dollars. So where do you where do you see China going? This is such a huge topic with so many different branches where we could go. Um, it depends on how we view China. Are they a competing nation? Are they a competitor? You know, let's say economically, we're, com we're competing with China. I know right now, based on research I've done recently, China's currently number two global power in the world behind the US, which is kind of mind boggling. Um, you know, a lot of people still think of China being very far behind, like they were 10 or 15 years ago, but they have progressed as a nation so much by opening up um, their market. And then the other way to see China is as a threat to the United States when it comes to IP theft. And so right now, I think where we stand is that we're trying to figure out how to go about this a smart way. How do we counter the competition and the perceived threat? Now, from a cyber threat intelligence perspective, I just did several months of research that led to a report that I titled China's Digital Colonialism, Espionage and Surveillance Along the Digital Silk Road. And what this research really uncovered was the scope of how widespread Chinese technology is around the world. And not only in Western nations like US, UK, let's say Five Eyes in general, but we're talking about um, Chinese technology being built from the ground up, like underground cables, underwater cable, 5G, satellite, all of this stuff, also in developing regions of the world, which historically are regions that the Western companies have kind of shunned or like shoved to the side because there's not, maybe there's not enough money involved or they can't afford very large infrastructure projects. Well, what China has done is they've come in and gone, oh, that's okay, we'll, we're here to the rescue. And if you can't afford it, that's okay too, because we, as the Chinese government, will sponsor this project and loan you the billions of dollars needed to then pay the Chinese technology companies to build it. <laughs> um, unfortunately, business. I, I, and I don't mean to laugh. It's not really a laughing matter, but unfortunately, this debt trap diplomacy mm. uh, is what it's being dubbed is very dangerous for some of these nations that really cannot afford to pay back these loans. On one hand, uh, many of these countries are going, hey, we need this infrastructure we need more connectivity for our people and for our industries in order for us to modernize and catch up and make money and bring in revenue but on the other hand they're not doing it fast enough to be able to pay back these loans which many have been created um, specifically to trap these these governments in in these contracts so um this research that I did really covers many different aspects, but it shows kind of the scope of like how widespread the Chinese technology is um, from physical layer to application layer 
they're collecting, um, you know, unlimited user data, behavioral data, and that's not even um, taking into consideration all of the IP theft that they're conducting through espionage operations. So what this report lays out is here are the regions of the world where they're focusing the most uh, money, energy, time into building out infrastructure. And here's how that infrastructure is vulnerable to espionage by the Chinese government. Charity, when you do these, this project is, is a client-facing or it's a, maybe a public-facing sort of, it's a white paper that results from it. How much of what you do is sort of general purpose research versus specific client engagements where a specific client will ask for something oh, that yeah. you're delivering to them? Well, at Recorded Future, my current company, um, I work as part of the larger research team. Okay. And we have, oh gosh, probably over 60 analysts and researchers in Insect Group. And there are dedicated teams to handle what we call analyst on demand requests. So, you know, RFIs from clients like, um, what, is, what is the current threat of domestic terrorism in the United States? Or what, what are the chances that uh, another major event will happen at the Capitol, like the insurrection? Yeah. Or even about foreign, foreign threats like um, maybe briefings on the upcoming Russian election, who are the candidates, what are they involved in? Um, we do a range of research from geopolitical to you know technical cyber threats. Um, the majority of what I do is public facing. So I do get to contribute to those analyst on demand reports for consumers as well for the clients. But part of my job at Recorded Future is just to show the world the awesome stuff we're doing. Um, so whether it's just a little bit of insight from a larger report that went to a customer or it's something like, hey, this is really important. We need to get this news out right now without a long review process. That's that's my role. And I, I have to say, too, for, for clients of ours where I've encountered Recorded Future, I've seen you from the brand integrity standpoint. So for the work that Recorded Future does to monitor, you know, national and global brands. Yes. Um, it, it's it's good. I, I didn't understand that there was that whole other component to it that you're describing, which is really helpful. Yes. Brand monitoring is, I think, one of the number one use cases for cyber threat intelligence today. We need to know as soon as a threat actor is targeting your company or mentioning server access on a dark web or setting up a phishing website to mimic, you know, your company, brand monitoring covers all of that. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a huge risk to U.S.-based companies or global companies is that what's popping with these websites that get popped up that look exactly like or are one or two digits off from and are harvesting credentials or, or even selling products. It's extraordinary yes. what's out there. How, how much of what you're seeing with China, I mean, how much of it is, it is commercial competition versus intelligence, intelligence gathering from, you know, the national security elements in China? Or do you monitor both? Do you have to have an awareness of sort of We pieces? do keep a close eye on the commercial side as well, but especially those corporations in China that have ties to the Communist Party of China. So we keep a, a close eye, like closer eye on those companies 
yep. um, maybe leadership changes, who on their board or in their leadership team is uh, a member of the Communist Party or involved in the government, where the funding is coming from, and what kind of like acquisitions are happening, where are they recruiting employees from, because usually it's from the Chinese military or intelligence services. So we keep a close eye on the high level stuff as well as the cyber activity and network traffic that is happening as a result. Charity, there's so many different pieces of a cyber threat intelligence sort of team. Can you just tell us a little bit about how Recorded Future does its recruitment, right? When you're looking for new folks to join the team, what are you looking for? Where are you looking? What makes a good hire? I just saw a statistic in an email the other day that said like over 75% of our new hires are from internal referrals. So our employees, we have almost, I think over 600 employees globally now. We really rely on our networks of other experts, um, people that we've worked with before that fit our company values and our culture. Um, at Recorded Future, we, we value passion, inclusivity and uh, being ethical so we're looking for candidates that also align with those values and uh, especially those that have great experience or phenomenal education um, people that have contributed in their own way uh, in previous roles especially so you know that sounds like a pretty uh, interesting place, an exciting place to work, a good place. What's a, what's a typical uh, you know day in the life of uh, of Charity Wright? Uh, <laughs> what's it look like? Uh, you know. Oh gosh, um, let's see. My work day. I'm I'm kind of a night owl to be honest. So during the summer when the kids are not in school, um, I like to start my day like around nine thirty, ten in the morning. I've already got my coffee and I'm awake. Um, I dig in immediately to see what's going on in, uh, in in the news, you know, catch up on geopolitical happenings. And the fun part about it is we have a messaging, messaging platform that we use in our company that allows us to exchange ideas, share news, um, bring to awareness for the whole team uh, things that are going on. Um, and so I'll just kind of take a look and see what kind of analyst notes have they written up that morning. Uh, we have teams in Singapore and UK as well. So uh, they've usually done quite a bit of work by the time we log in. And after reviewing kind of what's already been done, then I dig in and see what are the gaps and what can I fill in here. So we produce analyst notes that go straight into our platform for clients, but then uh, also for me in the past, my job has varied. Um, if I'm doing research, I'm doing a lot of reading. I'm reading academic, uh, you know, white papers. I'm reading news sources and I'm digging into Chinese government websites in Mandarin to, um, to kind of see, you know, what they're talking about. Currently, I am focused on Chinese disinformation and propaganda. So my daily life looks a lot like scrolling through social media. I'm looking at Chinese language and English language social media to find out what kind of narratives the Chinese government is trying to push both internally and on foreign countries. So it sounds like you've got quite the, you're quite the, uh, the master of the dark arts of intelligence. <laughs> um, 
And uh, what I has any of the you know you mentioned you you being a mom. Um, do you ever turn those uh, those powers against your uh, your children? <laughs> I, I mean. You know, if you're going to be awesome. cruising social media, yeah. you know, I don't know. That's uh, yeah. Or is that something you, you know? How, are you going to hold that in your back pocket and say, "Hey, kids, you know, <laughs> mom may know what's going on here." Oh, I I'm not going to say anything. Oh yeah, they think I know everything. No, I'm not going to tell them otherwise. But I do keep a really close eye on them, and I keep their security settings on lockdown. Like, um, you know, I I use our iPhones to track where they are in the neighborhood, and then also their activity. Like I. After a long fight, I allowed them access to TikTok on their phones, not on my phone. Um, and they have very like restrictive settings on TikTok about what they can share. And then I also have some of my family members undercover watching the kids' nice. TikTok accounts. That's all nice. <laughs> so recruiting, that I recruiting have, agents. I, like I have it. a mom, my sister, who will notify me if they are using some music with a bad word in it, or if if they've done anything <laughs> weird. The one thing I have to say though is uh, when you're using, uh, you know, proxy agents, uh, you have to be careful if they engage because uh, <laughs> uh, if if they're of people of my generation, otherwise known as old. Uh, <laughs> You know, apparently, apparently words with friends is not a thing anymore. <laughs> oh. And that's a dead giveaway that you're not, you, you aren't the, uh, you aren't the teenager you're pretending. No, Ernie. <laughs> so just a little tidbit. They're here. also, you know, aants and, and grandmothers are susceptible to bribery. So you got to be really careful with true. that. They can it easily is, be turned against true. you. They can be turned. Yes. You know what, though? I asked my mom to do this because she is way more strict than me. And <laughs> she has much higher standards. Like, I'm like, eh, who cares if they said that word or this word and she's like eh, it's disgusting so my mom has higher standards than me so i know she'll she'll nitpick <laughs> trudy can i also ask you know i grew up in a house where my my mother spoke spanish my father spoke german and i don't speak anything and i i still think man they should have made me learn that stuff <laughs> which is a way of me blaming them for my own fault but are, are, are your kids going to learn mandarin you know I, my ex-husband was also a Chinese linguist. We were both, you know, just Americans, you know, learn Chinese. And when the kids were little, we spoke Mandarin in the house all the time. And the kids were like, it was like around three or four when they were actually able to argue for themselves. And they were like, we don't want to speak Chinese, mom. Just speak English. And eventually uh, I just gave up and and started speaking English mostly to them but sometimes they'll still use Chinese around the house I think they've picked up more than they know okay and later yeah. on they when you know, if they come back to it later it'll be on their own terms I think I that's think, kind of a nice thing. yes the Chinese instructors told me that they will absorb Mandarin just uh by being um in utero like I was in Chinese class uh refreshing on my language when I was pregnant with the kids and the Chinese teachers have this belief that the kids will know Chinese better because of that. Now, that is not scientific. That is probably <laughs> an old wives tale uh, from their culture. I'm not sure. But um, I would like to believe that speaking it around them when they were toddlers will help them absorb it better in the future. So uh, we're going to take a short break now. But after the break, we will return with Ernie's lifestyle polygraph. Stay with us. You are listening to the No Password Required Podcast. We cover cybersecurity and a lot of other stuff.
All right, welcome back, Charity. You may be familiar with the National Security, Pro uh, Security Program's Lifestyle Polygraph. We have something very similar, very similar. Um, uh, it may be some considered even more invasive than, uh, than the one the federal government uses. What it turns out it is, it's a series of questions, a series of five questions. And these five questions are gonna probe your inner mind and working so we can learn what actually makes you tick. And so are you ready for? I think, I think I'm ready. I don't have any nodes hooked up to me, but. Oh, that's, it's all, it's all virtual these days. It's all, it's all done via cyber. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, okay, it's bring all, it on. all electronic. Here we go. Question number one, number one, first question. What has been more important to your career development? What has been more important to your career development? Curiosity or adventure? Ooh. I feel like there should be Jeopardy music. Um, <laughs> uh, curiosity. Curiosity has driven pretty much everything in my career. All of the research that I do starts with questions that are unanswered or things that other people have said and I've doubted or been skeptical for some reason, I think, you know what, I wanna dig in on that. Like, I need to know what's going on, especially when you work in a cleared environment, like NSA, curiosity drives everything. It's like, is there a presence of a threat? Uh, and what do we do about that? Where are they? What are they doing? Another curious thing about NSA is what is actually in the basement of NSA? <laughs> hey. And it turns out, uh, just, Paper towel storage. Paper, <laughs> that that makes sense. I actually worked in an underground building. Yes, it was literally. Yes, underground. you did. We called it the tunnel. It's the it. it that is uh, on a, on a, uh, a, a tangent here. Out of all the cool government places, NSA Hawaii is probably the coolest <laughs> because probably. of because of that. It's what you would expect, right? Yeah. It's a cool. It's it's an underground bunker. It really it is. is it, yeah. For for our listeners, if you're not familiar, the tunnel is a nickname that we have for the facility at Cunia. And it is an old World War II uh, airplane hangar that was converted into a national security agency SIGINT post. And so you have to walk through a half mile underground tunnel from the parking lot down under a pineapple field to get access to that building. And I did that throughout entire, like my entire active duty uh, time. And even when I was pregnant and they did not give me rides. And I was like nine months pregnant waddling down this tunnel to the building in uniform. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a very exciting facility. When you walk in and you get read on, it's kind of like, oh wow, this is cool spy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's one of those things that it, it, you when you when you think about the the intelligence community and the apparatus and the military that's one of the things is, oh, wow this is really a cool it's an underground bunker this is really neat yes. but then you go back to the home office at Fort Meade and you find out it's just a building with people in it <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay so number, question number two this one's a tough one here we go which Super Mario sound <laughs> takes you back to your childhood faster. The coin ding or the mushroom power-up? Ooh. Mm. 
the coin ding. It has to be because you can get so many at once. And it's just like, ding, 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 ding. you know, it's like, yes, I love that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I loved playing Super Mario back in the day. Now, do you uh, do your kids play Super Mario or th- isn't there a new one out? I'm, that's how data I am, right? Mario Kart. That's right. That's what the is that is that what they're playing? These um, my son, who is 12 now, he does not play Mario. I wish he he would, but he's into other games, you know, shoot 'em up games. Um, I have played Super Mario with them. Actually, funny that you mentioned that. We have a cafe nearby. It's called Nerdvana. And you can choose your game station and your controllers and go to your table and hook that up and play. Like you can sit at specific booths to play certain um, game stations. And so last time we played Super Mario Brothers was at Nerdvana. And I'm actually taking them there this afternoon. Super Mario, here we come. I know. I'm so excited. They're, they're accessible games. We, we got a hold of, maybe two years ago, of one of those NES classics, which was just, you know, you just plug it in with an HDMI cable and you can <laughs> play like 20 or 30 of the original Nintendo games. And it was so much more accessible than the really complicated, as much as I like the really complicated like PlayStation games or computer-based games, there was some joy in just sitting down there and everyone taking a turn at it. So I could really see that. That being that being a lot of fun to do that in, in an environment like that. Yeah, you can order food, desserts, drinks from the bar, whatever, and just sit there at your table and play with everyone. It's really fun. That's a genius idea. Yeah, That's, yeah. I'm, if if somebody hasn't put a franchise thing on that, they, they need to get that one going. I agree. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number three. Number three. If cybersecurity went away tomorrow, we can only dream. Uh, went away tomorrow, and you became a motivational speaker. What would you motivate people to do? Oh, that's a good one. Um, Okay. You know what? I just gave a motivational talk the other day to a group of about 50 women in information security. And I'm going to go with this. What I spoke to them about was being the creator of your own future, determining your own destiny. And what I spoke to them about was my experiences with having to advocate for myself. And I know everyone can get something from that message, but I felt like it really resounded with women because quite often in our industry, I I see a lot of women kind of doubting their abilities and relying on maybe a manager to promote them or recommend them. And so I just like to encourage people to kind of take ownership of your own dreams and don't let anything stop you, including, but especially not your own internal critic voice. I think so many of us deal with imposter syndrome or we walk into a room and we suddenly doubt our own knowledge, skills, and experience because other people have more than us. What I've found is that you're fresh. You have a new voice. You have a new way of thinking. You're unique. So just step into that and own it and be your authentic self and advocate for yourself, which is what I was teaching these these women, some of them very young in the industry too. And I told them, 
you know, you can't rely on somebody else to ask you if you want a promotion or a raise. Sometimes you have to just step into it and be brave and be vulnerable, but also courageous because you can't really be brave unless you're vulnerable and just say, hey, I've worked here for this long. I've done this. I've completed all these goals. I would like you to consider giving me a raise or that new management role that just opened up. I think I'm qualified and I would love to do that and just put yourself out there. Um, it's hard to do because there's always a chance of rejection or denial or something else. But I found through personal experience that it's usually worth it to just go for it. No truer words have been, uh, have been spoken. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Number four, to support your kid's interest, you are attending your first anime related con. That's for those old people. That's conference yes. uh, I, I, or convention. Right. I don't, I'm sure there's a difference. I'm not sure what, what it is. Somebody yeah. told me once, but it, so you're attending um, your first anime con. Have you decided on your cosplay? Oh, no, I haven't. Uh, so for the audience, everyone who's listening, if you have any ideas for me, let me know. Um, my kids are really into anime right now. Um, and so I found out that Fan Expo is coming to Dallas and so I rented a hotel downtown for the weekend, and we're going to spend the whole weekend there awesome. um, meeting their favorite voiceover artists and taking pictures. The kids all have their cosplay picked out, and I don't, I don't want to do anything cliche like Wonder Woman or um, uh, what's her name? She just had a movie come out. Um, oh, a, a Black Widow. Black Widow. Those I have done in the past for Halloween, and I don't want to do those. I'm like, I want to do something related to maybe anime or something a little uh, less mainstream. <laughs> I've done two or three of those with my kids, and what I, I've sort of done the cop out, which is I'll get a hold of like a <laughs> like a vintage video game T-shirt or something cool, and I'll just wear the T-shirt. <laughs> And I'll feel like, okay, well, I, this is cool. It's a conversation piece, but I don't have to wear anything on my head. You know? <laughs> that's the only, that's the only bit, but I, I, it gets a little bit more out there each year. So at some point I hope to make the leap too. So we'll have to uh, get a report in on charity for how it goes from you. And yes, I'll take us. pictures and uh, make sure I send them over to y'all. <laughs> yes. All right. And here we go. The fifth, the fifth question, uh, once again, kid-related here. Uh, what is something that you are looking forward to teaching your kids? Oh, um, I really look forward to teaching my kids more about the importance of geopolitical intelligence in the world. You know, there's, it's one thing to kind of watch the news and keep up with go, what's going on around the world. It's another to kind of hone in and pay attention to the most relevant events and turns of events. Um, like most people don't pay attention to elections in foreign countries, but leadership and regime changes and sometimes can lead to coups and military, um, you know, genocide and, and things like that, like what's happening in Myanmar. And so I, I really want them to be kind of global thinkers and not just, um, kind of in this US bubble. Uh, like I, I grew up in that bubble and I was very sheltered. I didn't know much about the world and I didn't travel. And that's 
you know, my curiosity is what drove me towards that, that field, learning what's going on and learning how the U.S. is not the center of the world. I'm a patriot and I love my country and I serve my country still. Um, but we have to understand how we fit into the global picture and how we can contribute to peace and stability. And that's what I look forward to teaching my kids the most, if they'll listen. <laughs> well, I think if you do, if you if you provide that lesson around, uh, you know, uh, Super Mario Brothers, I, I think there's got to be a way to connect that. And if you can tie oh, that, yeah, in, think, all the yeah. different worlds. That's a yes. perfect. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> And I'll especially like, if you dress up as like Mario or or, or Luigi, as yeah, far as the cosplay side of it, then it, then it, I think that it makes it more impactful. Hey, last week we were sitting down at a restaurant to eat, and I had a an actual newspaper, uh, I think it was Wall Street <laughs> Journal, in front of me, and we were reading about Afghanistan, and it had a map, and I'm like, how do I how do I talk to the kids about what's happening in Afghanistan right now? Yeah. Like this is tough, um, mm-hmm. and. Maybe, maybe just, I, I didn't really figure it out at dinner because they got bored and were like, okay, mom, whatever. But maybe I can use one of the Mario worlds and be like, look, this is like Afghanistan. <laughs> and, <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know if that'll yeah. work. They'll be like, wait, how is this? It, isn't there, no, that's not the, that's, uh, I was thinking, the, the Oompa Loompas, that's, that's, uh, Go- that's Charlie think, and the Chocolate I think Factory. Goomba, What's, the Goombas. Goomba, that's what they were, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, going into the school year, my daughter, who just started sixth grade, she told me that social studies is her least favorite class, which broke my heart. And then um, she found out in the first week of school that it's actually more interesting than it was in elementary it's contemporary world societies so they're learning about different places in the world where it's located what kind of cultures they have there and what languages and i'm just thrilled like i'm like do you have any homework for that class you want to work on (laughs) like we can just you know go over capitals in different countries and she's like no (laughs) but she is more interested in it this year so i'm i'm thrilled you should have her to, uh, uh, you know, bring your kid to work day, and she can sit down. And that'll, that, yes. that right, that seems to me that's like uh, social studies. You get a whole, whole semester in about three days. Oh, <laughs> we had an amazing bring your kids to work day with Recorded Future a few months ago, and they sent a box of stuff for the kids in advance because it was virtual, and they got to do all kinds of these like tinkering sets where you create circuits. Like you, you have these little Lego snap-on pieces that have metal fittings and you create circuits and turn on lights and fans and switches. It was such an awesome exercise for the kids to learn about networking and switches and nodes, um, which then translates digitally. So they were at the end, it culminated in this exercise in kind of like a blank coding screen where they learned how to code to turn on the lights and the fans and the switches that they just built. So it was an amazing exercise. I was so thrilled that the company did that. I was going to say that's uh, you, you. You should see if you can get uh, adopt me for a day because that, or, or, or at least Jack. <laughs> Jack, I think I think both of us. You can adopt us for a day. So next time they do. Uh, Take your kids to work. Like, uh, two adopted kids, Jack and Ernie. <laughs> I have 
people will be like, and, and Pablo, hey, you can come too. They'll, they'll probably be like, are these some competitors trying to collect information on our company? Excuse me, Charity, your, your, your adopted children have right. beards. They're right to be uh, suspicious. Well. They're right to be suspicious. That's funny. Well, Charity, this uh, brings us to the end of the Lifestyle Polygraph. And thank you uh, so much for, for, uh, for spending time with us today. Uh, this has been really, uh, really delightful for all of us here. Uh, if, uh, if our listeners want to uh, connect with you, how, how can they do that? Sure, they can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Charity Wright. I have some Chinese characters next to my name. It's my Chinese name. And also on Twitter, my handle is Charity W number four CTI. Excellent. And uh, can people go to the Recorded Future website to see that uh, the report that you talked about? Absolutely. Recordedfuture.com backslash resources. And you'll find all types of content from, you know, blogs to podcasts and all types of uh, great research information there. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, we're going to be sure to check that out. Thank you um, so much. So excellent. Thank you. And now coming up next... Pablo Torres will bring our company's uh, CFO, Chief Financial Officer. Who is his target? A Mr. Jay Gatsby. Would it be a great mistake for a firm like ours to, to fall in love with a guy like him? Stick around to find out. There's a place for everyone in the world of cybersecurity, and Pablo Torres plans to prove it. Welcome to Positively Cyber. Welcome to Positively Cyber. I'm your host, Pablo Torres. On today's episode, we are going to discuss how positive neural associations create a correlation to increase data retention for overall attention with set intentions, especially when it comes to learning. However, first, we must set the tone. How is that tone going to be set, you may ask? From the top down is how. However, what is a top? Are we talking about the proverbial top? like the pinnacle of a corporate hierarchy within a structure? Kind of. Or should we instead beg the question of the bottom? Or better yet, the bottom line? Nevertheless, the former and the latter are one and the same. Have I confused you enough with my innuendos? Great. That means I have your attention. We are looking for the right fit to assume responsibility as our chief financial officer. In due time, we will come to find out that attention is everything. The smallest detail can severely impact the bottom line if not properly accounted for. This is why our most recent addition to our security organization needs to be as cool as a cucumber, yet as fierce as a properly dialed in Richter scale, to be afoot of even the slightest misalignment from our operational model. For if personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there is something captivating about one whom possesses a heightened sensitivity to the promises of life, or in our case, a heightened sensitivity to speed metrics that deviate from the established baseline. As if one or one of those intricate machines that registers earthquakes 10,000 miles away. For what is life without envisioning an extraordinary outlook centered around hope? For what is cybersecurity without envisioning a model that will securely safeguard an infrastructure and all the critical business data that is needed for an effective operation? We find ourselves in an ever-changing, dynamically versatile landscape, so much more so than the one we were in the week before, or even the week before that. The vast, ever-expansive critical network ecosystems are always under attack, 
Risk is always being mitigated. Budgets are always under restructuring. Unbeknownst to most, first entering the cyber arena, stress is the name of the game, and sleep deprivation is not for the feeble-minded. Kindly note, this stress is not your typical stress. Instead, it is a mix of excitement with a bit of uncertainty sprinkled in for what could possibly be next. The act of upholding our commitments to our clients is our pride, yet the endless possibilities for a potential compromise is more than enough to keep even the most seasoned network professional up at night, especially when we consider situations like the U.S. State Department being hit by a cyber attack at their Department of Defense Cyber Command. Ultimately, this is reflected via nominal dollar value and a value that is delegated to the efforts needed to either implement mechanisms to prevent and detect this nefarious intent or the efforts needed to remediate the transgression. No matter how we look at it, we need someone that possesses the capacity to talk the talk and also walk the walk when it comes to bridging the gap between the business side and the technical side of the house. Simply said, we need the right fit. We need top caliber from a keen operator with the capacity for pivoting on the fly. Our CFO is expected to assess cybersecurity risk, align cybersecurity strategy with business strategy, and get buy-in from key stakeholders on necessary cybersecurity investments. This is crucially important due to the reality apart from traditional discourse amongst cybersecurity leadership. A reality that is best stated as a disconnect for what money can actually solve compared to what a well-versed fundamental leadership can accomplish through implementation of security conscious and corporate culture. Rooted in the education and commitment to innovation. We need a leader who will fit this model. We need a leader that will show us the way. While cybersecurity was once relegated to a technical or operational issues handled by IT, a cross-departmental enterprise-wide approach to cybersecurity is necessary. IT owns the tools such as the firewalls and antivirus software and password controls and mobile device management. Legal is our partner in terms of consultation and they approve the data protection policies that we have in place. They also push out the data protection policies and report on compliance for any legal or regulatory obligation. HR is our change management partner, communicating to the organization in partnership with IT. And they also approve and are consulted in terms of data protection policies because they own a significant portion of employee information. Finance not only provides the funding and the resources around data protection, but they are also consulted with and approve the data protection policies. It is a symbiotic relationship nonetheless. The most common impediment to developing an enterprise-wide cybersecurity strategy is lack of understanding of the risk and the potential impacts of a breach. This is a common issue amongst organizations and unfortunately leaves us with valuable information exposed. The goal of most organizations is to get to the finish line with their product as soon as possible and therefore see a security as a hurdle or a nuisance. However, this is not to be ignored as the threat is very real and only growing more so. So with all of this being said, Mr. Jay Gatsby, as our incoming CFO, it is imperative that you undertake a number of actions to help safeguard our organization and the organizations of our many clients against a data breach or another cyber threat. As our CFO, you must understand how the data supply chain functions as well as identify where information flows through our ecosystem and examine data privacy across the entire enterprise. Determining the location of sensitive data and private data is critical. Data mapping can help you answer important questions like 
What are the crown jewels of our business? Is it critical to have an incident response plan? In contrast to a breach response plan, we can have an incident that we will need to respond to quickly and efficiently in order to avoid a breach. Developing a playbook to avoid a breach is critical. This is no small task. The threats to data privacy and data security are fierce and continuously evolving. Effective information security depends on not only a single technology or strategy, but on a layered approach that needs to be monitored continually as the threat patterns change. We know you are the right man for the role. Let us go ahead and get to work for there is plenty to be done. So Jay Gatsby, huh? The uh, the man from, where is it? West Egg, New York? I, I had to look that up, by the way. Yeah, Jay Gatsby. It's been a long time since, uh, it, long time since I, uh, I read the book. It, it, it was a fascinating one, getting back into it. And uh, yeah, I, I think Jay Gatsby has a very multifaceted approach to how he conducts his business. Not only so in the way that he can be a profitable individual in his business ventures, but the way that he relates and communicates to various different personalities. And I, I think having that capacity and that understanding for the human nature as well as the financial nature is, is, is a very good balance to have to implement and, 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 and produce effective change. This, is, this would be a, a hire that would have a lot of controversy, I think. I, I, I like it on balance, but there's pros and there's cons to it. I was trying to think through whether I would be excited if there was an incident and I was brought in to help with the incident response and like a guy like Jay Gatsby is, is involved in this. Because having, for a big company, if there's a cybersecurity incident and, and there's a need to respond to it, having a, a C-suite executive who participates in the incident response, forget the planning and the budgeting, right? But actually participating in the incident response is a, is a game changer in terms of controlling the cost and getting to an outcome. Because if the CFO is involved, he or she, right, can get all the people to show up for the meetings and contribute and be prepared. And so having an operational style CFO participating in the actual event itself is, is, is a big deal. And a guy like Jay Gatsby would, in fact, be there hands-on quarterbacking the thing um, as the proxy for the CEO making decisions. And I guarantee you everyone would be afraid of him, right, I mean, because of his reputation. Um, on the, on the, so I think that's the big pro, right, is that he's an operational C CFO. He can keep a secret Right, he can be trusted. People people show up yes. when he tells them to show up, um, and also he has government connections should those be needed. Um, on the on the on the should con they? side, though, he has a checkered past. He has not told us the truth about who he is, um, and so he's susceptible to potentially to compromise and bribery himself were were someone to find out what his history was. So. So I, there's a little bit of that, but if you could control for that, if you could find a way to have that conversation with him, uh, I think he'd be a great guy to bring on, bring on board. Uh, plus, he throws great parties. Yeah, the word the word on the street is he, he does he throws great right. parties, and he's a snappy dresser too. Yeah, you need a little bit snappy of snappy dresser indeed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You you need a little flair in that style. It uh it, it provokes some rather interesting thought. And uh, Jack, your points are great. Um, I think that this type of individual has so much to lose with that checkered pass, yet has so much to gain with the opportunity of bringing that skill set to a very dynamic, versatile environment. He would like, 
he'd be negotiating with the ransomware threat actors and suddenly, you know, a, a couple of a black sedans would show up outside the ransomware guys' houses in Eastern Europe and that problem would be taken care of. I don't know what happened. Exactly. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we've tried it yet, but I mean, it's better than what we've done before, right? <laughs> I'd hate for something to happen. Guy exactly. like that, you know, guy with a family. What am I paying protection for? Protection for me. <laughs> protection for me. Problem. I got to ask a question. Uh, Jay Gatsby, man, that's reaching back. I mean, that's not, that's beyond pop culture. That's 1920s pop culture, man. Uh, that's, a, I mean, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good here. It's staying in our, our decade. But uh, what, uh, what drove you that far? What, what, what's with the time travel? What drove you back there? Oh, great question, Ernie. Well, I, I do have to admit, it, it's, it's a great relationship in, in collaboration with our producer, Rex. And uh, identifying Jay Gatsby as a potential CFO for our organization, I mean, really came down to skill set. And I, I believe that where we find ourselves today as a society in present time, a little bit of old school introduced to new school would significantly enhance the way that things have been currently done and will continue to be done. Ladies and gentlemen... Uh, with that, that brings us to the end of our show. You know, thank you for joining us. Uh, first and foremost, I have to thank my stalwart collaborators and co-hosts, Mr. Jack Clabby and Pablo Torres. Uh, and also a special thank you to our guest, Charity Wright, who, uh, after, uh, after finishing this show, is headed out to keep the world safe from uh, the Goombas and the Super Troopas uh, it, uh, with Super Mario Brothers. So... Uh, that said, remember, please uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the No Password Required podcast. Be sure to send your questions and comments to info at nopasswordpodcast.com. I'm Ernie Farresso, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to the No Password Required podcast. The show is produced by Cyber Florida. A special thanks goes out to our friends at Carlton Fields and Cognizant. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website, cyberflorida.org slash pod.